up our study in the Gospel of Mark today, and moving on next week into one of the minor prophets for four weeks, and then we have Christmas Sunday, so we'll have our Christmas message there, and and um, and beyond there, we don't know. No, we know. We got a plan. I want to encourage you to also keep in prayer our brother Don Lee. It appears that Don is coming to the end of his life here on earth, and um, I met with him last Friday, and he, uh, what a sweet brother. You know, he, I told Don, I said, Don, um, I said, this is such a blessing to talk to you and to know that you know that your time is short, and his hope is that he'll make it for Thanksgiving, uh, to meet with the family and everything. But um, but I said, usually when I'm talking to people who are clo- so close to death, you know, there's not the soundness of mind that you have. I mean, he's just a very sharp man, and uh, he's walked with the Lord for a long, long time. And I'll tell you, I was refreshed when I left there, and I was just thinking of what the scriptures say, that we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Christians, it's not like we're heartless. It's not that we don't care when someone dies. We do care, and we do mourn, but we just don't do it as those who have no hope. And it's, uh, it was kind of fun at one moment, or one time, uh, time in the conversation, you know, he made a comment about, well, I'm going to be beating you guys there. And I said, well, wait a minute now. I said, you don't know that. The Lord can come back and do a package deal before, you know, before you die. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that we can be born again, that we can be saved, that our lives could be changed because of you, Lord. That it's not wishful thoughts. It's not uh, hopeful thinking. But it's based upon the truth of your word the truth of your redemptive work, and the truth of the resurrection. And we rejoice in that, Lord. And we do pray for our brother Don. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort him. We pray that you would encourage him. We pray that his time with Howard and and other family members as they come in, Lord, would be a blessed time. Thank you for his long life and the fact that he knows you. And Lord, we pray that you teach us as we Finish up our study in Mark's gospel today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Chapter 16. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, so this would have been Saturday evening. Remember the Sabbath? It begins on uh, Friday after, uh, after sunset, so Friday to Saturday sunset. So it was after that that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. The him there, of course, is Jesus. You know that. And so they bought the spices on Saturday. But then verse 2, it wasn't until the next day that they made their way to the tomb. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb? For us. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. 
And it was very large, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, whom, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Verse 8. So they went out quickly and fled or ran away literally from the tomb. And they trembled and were amazed and said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You know, guys, when we read the scriptures, you know, as we would do when we read anything, but especially the scriptures, if we read the scriptures without, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, pausing and letting the text breathe. In other words, maybe the text doesn't have to breathe, but we need to breathe as we're reading the text and to think about what's happening. I, I, I look at the reaction, the human reaction of these women that came. We see that they were alarmed in verse 5. We see that they were amazed in verse 8. And we see that they were afraid in verse 8 again. And so there was a human reaction. Why did they react this way? Because they did not expect to see the stone rolled away. They did not expect to see an angel. They did not expect to hear that he was risen from the dead. Now that's hard for us because... We study the scriptures, as we've been noting through our study of Mark's gospel account, at least three times Jesus said to them, said to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'll rise again. And yet, they did not expect the resurrection. What they expected was to get to the tomb and somehow remove the stone so that they could get into the tomb, to the corpse, of Jesus so that they might prepare his body with this bought spices that they had to give him a proper burial. That's what they expected. But of course, it was nothing like that. I think it's interesting that as they're going, they're talking. You could kind of put yourself in their sandals and think, well, that's what I would be doing. If I was going someplace with my friend or my friends, I would be saying, well, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to do that? And how's this going to work out? I'm not quite sure. We'll figure it out when we get there, you know. And when they ask the question, how are we going to move the stone? How are we going to get into the tomb? We need to understand something that Mark doesn't tell us, but Matthew tells us, that the Pharisees and others had actually come to Pilate, and they said to Pilate, Pilate, we heard, we remember, they said, we remember him saying, speaking of Jesus, we remember him saying that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. I think that's interesting, that the Pharisees, his critics, remembered that he said he'd be raised on the third day. But his followers, his disciples, those closest to him, these women that were very, very close to him, these disciples, in fact, they proved themselves to be the most loyal of his disciples on that morning. But they don't remember Jesus saying that he'd be resurrected on the third day. It went in one ear, out the other ear. But the Pharisees said to Pilate, you know, 
if his disciples come and steal his body away, the deception that would come from that would be greater than the former deception. And so Pilate said, you have a guard, you know, set a guard, make it secure. And they went and they set a seal, they sealed it, sealed the stone, set a seal seal on it, and they put a guard there at the post. And then Matthew tells us that when the angel came, that it was an angel who rolled the stone away, that the angel rolled the stone away, this huge stone, it wasn't a boulder, it was a hewn stone, rolled it away, and then he sat on top of the stone. I like that. I could picture that in my mind's eye, in my imagination, just kind of sitting there like, you know, done. I'm waiting. Who are you waiting for? Some women. They're going to be showing up any time now. But we're told that Matthew tells us that the guards who were set there guarding this tomb, and you wonder if they thought to themselves, what kind of duty is this? You know, we're, we're, we're guarding the corpse, you know. But when they saw this happen, when they saw the angel, it says that they became like dead men. They fainted or whatever. And then once they were revived, they fled. They went out of there. So by the time the women get there, everyone's gone. The angel now has moved into the temple, or to, to, I'm sorry, not the temple, into the tomb, excuse me, They come into the tomb, and there he is, and it scares them. (gasps) Can you imagine them going, oh, you scared me. Have you ever said that? I say that quite often. I get jumpy sometimes, you know. You say it to strangers. Oh, oh, you scared me, you know. You might be in Home Depot, and you're you're thinking of something, you know, and and someone walks up, and oh, sorry, you know. And I kind of picture them being startled as they see the angel. And, of course, the angel says to them, and we have the different gospel accounts where he, in essence, says, listen, he's not here. Remember, 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 remember what he said? He's gone. He's not here. If you go to Israel today, and, of course, there's two locations, but I always go to the garden tomb. I believe that's the place. Uh, You go there, and you go into the tomb that's there, and there's a door. There's a wooden door. They don't have the the stone there, you could see the trough where the hewn stone would roll in the trough to close the opening of the tomb. But on the door, it has that statement that he is risen. He's not here, you know. And you think of that when you go into that tomb and you think of our Lord's body being there for a short time, but not for long. Guys, I stopped at verse 8, and maybe some of your Bibles stop at verse 8. Surely in all of your Bibles, there's a note saying that we probably should stop at verse 8. Because in some of the manuscripts, the text stops in verse 8. And so there's that question, you know, well, what about the remainder? Does this belong? Does this belong in the Bible? Does this belong in Mark's account? And, and I'll tell you, you could do the research on your own. I am completely comfortable and confident that what we have here in our Bibles should be here. In fact, all of the things that we see in verses 9 down to the end of the chapter are found in other locations in the Bible or in the gospel accounts themselves. But I think it's worth noting that the women go there, there's three of them, at least three of them are mentioned here in Mark's account. And after they receive the information from the angel, they make their way, I say they, 
All of them but one, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, look at verse 9. And when he, Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now remember, the other ladies, all they've seen thus far, I mean, they can't say we've seen Jesus. All they could say is he's not in the tomb. He's not there. And we saw an angel, and so we could tell you what we saw, and we could tell you what we heard, and the stone was rolled away, and all of this. But none of them had seen Jesus. None of them had seen the resurrected Jesus. He first appeared to Mary Magdalene. It's interesting how people, because of the perverse heart of man, a modern man wants to make something out of nothing. And of course, there are those who try to say, well, actually, there was this relationship that Jesus and Mary had. You've heard that. Of course, there's been movies about that. There's no indication in the scriptures that that's true at all. What we see here, look at the text, it goes on. It says, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons. I'll tell you, that was the glue that bound these two together. She was the one in need. She was the one in torment. She was the one demon-possessed. She meets Jesus. He cast out the demons. She's forever indebted to the Lord. And some of you can identify with this. Maybe it's not that you were, you know, delivered of a demon or demons. and It might not even be that you were delivered from drugs or alcohol or some other besetting sin. Maybe, maybe for you... It was just simply that you knew you were going to hell and you met Jesus and he delivered you from hell. He delivered you from a life of bondage to sin. And, and, and it was like, that is enough for you. And, and you just say, I am I'm indebted to him. He is my Lord. I want to serve him. And we all have different lives and we all have different testimonies, don't we? You know, I'm sure there are many things that the Lord delivered me from and, and still is delivering me from, you know, all these years later walking with the Lord. But for me personally, it wasn't that I, you know, had these big heavy issues that were completely destroying my life. My life was destroyed because I was lost. But I'll tell you, once I met Christ, it was like my searching was over. I could never identify with you two songs long written after. Yeah, still haven't found what you're looking for. I found exactly who I was looking for in Jesus. And, and I think that there should be a response. If we truly understand what Christ has done for us, if you've truly placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, there should be a response. The response should be, Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I want to... I want to know you and make you known. That's what I want to do. Lord, I want to spend the rest of my life serving you, whatever that looks like. I think that should be the response, the natural or supernatural response. And I think that was, that was the case for Mary Magdalene. Verse 10 tells us, And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So I want you to picture this. So... Obviously, the women, so the other Mary and Salome, and I think there were other women actually that were there. They went to the disciples and they told the disciples, Mark doesn't tell us this, but 
but they, they didn't believe. Um, they didn't believe. And so Mary Magdalene, she's not just coming with the message, you know, empty tomb, angels, stone rolled away, things like that. But she's actually coming with the message, I have seen the Lord. I've seen him. And she comes in, and the 11, and surely there were others there as well, they were doing two things. They were mourning and weeping. And you can imagine that. They were mourning and weeping. They're not expecting a resurrection if they were, all of them would have been at the tomb early that morning. They were not expecting that. They were probably expecting, you know, before long, we're going to have to leave Jerusalem and make our way home. And for many of them, home was the Galilee. And so we'll have to make our way home, and we got to do this. And it was so hard to leave, and the last place our Lord was was here with us, and now we've got to leave this place. And who knows what they were thinking. But it says... And they went and told, I'm sorry, they, that would be the women, they went and told it to the rest. It does say that here, excuse me. But they did not believe them either. Oh, wait, I'm jumping all over. I I jumped ahead. Go back. Go back. You guys are saying, we don't have to go back. You need to jump back, Jack. It says, as they were mourning and, and wept, verse 11, and when they heard that he was alive, so this was Mary Magdalene's message, alive, and had seen, uh, been seen by her, they did not believe. Now think of that. You come in, you're Mary Magdalene. He's alive. I saw him. Guys, let me tell you. First of all, I was sitting there, I was crying. Mary and Salome and the other ladies, they left. They came back here to tell you that the tomb was empty and everything. And huh, huh, did you believe them? No, 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 you know, moving on, you know. I was there, I was, I was beside myself, and there was a man there in the garden, and I thought he was the gardener. And so I was talking to Jesus, but I thought he was the gardener, and I asked him, have you taken my Lord's body? Where is it? Tell me so that I could go and and get it, get his body, retrieve his body. This is love. Love binds you to things like a grave, like a tomb, like a garden where you last, last saw your Lord. This is love. This is deep, profound love that Mary had. And so she tells, the 11 tells the disciples, you know, and, and, and they, don't, they don't believe her. Now, Bible commentators, they will say, well, you know, at that time, a woman's testimony. That's why, that's why they didn't believe uh, the women who came and they didn't believe Mary when she finally came because a woman, um, her testimony was not valid in a court of law. That's what commentators will tell you. How do you feel about that, ladies? Modern day ladies. Well, so we're told about two more. Verse 12, after that, he, Jesus, appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. Who, who's this? Well, we know who this is. This is the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Luke chapter 24, if you want details of that. Remember their encounter with Jesus? They're talking with Jesus. And then uh, 
you know, this, this inner encounter and, and you know, Jesus pretends he's going to go a little bit further and they say, oh, stay, you know, have some food with us. And they did not recognize Jesus until he took and he broke the bread. And as he broke the bread, it was like their eyes were open and they recognized it was Jesus and then he disappeared. And so that's when they went and told them. Now, you guys, think of this. These guys, the 11, they've been with Jesus. They heard the words of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Amen. We believe you, Jesus. I, 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 am, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. We believe you, Jesus. One day I'm going to come and set up my kingdom. Amen. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. We believe you, Jesus. And when it comes to, he's alive. We've seen him. We've talked to him. We had lunch with him or dinner with him. They did not believe. Later, he appeared to the 11. And as they sat at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, well, I'll come back to that. What was that like? You know, all of us have, you know, our own imagination. And so we all picture Jesus differently, don't we? Some of you, I know that, you know, Jesus could never speak in a voice higher than a whisper. And every word was like honey spewing from his mouth. Which I don't know how you do that when you look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees in uh, scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 or when he cleansed, cleansed the temple the first and second time, the beginning of his public ministry and the end of his public ministry. I don't know how you get around that. But I wonder, he rebuked them. What's wrong with you guys? What is wrong with you guys? Two or more witnesses came to you. They told you what they saw. And you would not believe because of the hardness of your heart. And I'll tell you, this is true in any setting where the truth of God's word is being proclaimed. It doesn't matter if it's a small fellowship like this church or a great big, you know, auditorium full of people who profess to be followers of Christ. There are always those, because of the hardness of their heart, the unbelief, they just dig their heels in and say, I refuse to believe. And I wonder if there's a rebuke waiting for them. Listen, if that's where you are, at least humble yourself and say, Lord, would you help me? Would you soften my hard heart? I mean, if you really wrestle with believing, that you'd humble yourself enough to say, Lord, would you help me with my unbelief? Remember the man who had the son, and Jesus asked him if he believed that he could do this, that he could help his son, and he says, oh, I believe. And then he says, help my unbelief. I mean, we can all identify with this. I can. I mean, that's me. I believe, Lord, I believe. But, oh, Lord, I have unbelief, too. There's so many things that I, 
I believe you could do, but will you actually do them? I don't know that you'll actually do them. I don't know that you'll actually do them anywhere in my vicinity, you know, but I believe you could do it. You can believe you could do anything, Lord. And I wonder if that's why we don't see the things that others have seen. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into the world, go into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, baptism doesn't save anyone. That's clear from the scriptures. Believing in Christ is what saves us. Believing in Christ is what saves, and baptism is the outward sign of the inward reality. So a person is baptized or saying, by faith, through faith in Christ, I have died with Christ, I've been buried with Christ, and I've been resurrected with Christ. And I walk now in newness of life because of the work of Christ, the redemptive work of Christ on Calvary's cross, and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the guarantee that it's been paid in full, and that Jesus is indeed God's Son. He says, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, you guys are aware of the fact that there are so many different camps within Christianity. And there are those who say, well, these signs, these, these gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. So nobody is casting out demons any longer. Don't you think that that's strange? That if there were demons at the time of Christ on the earth, boy, don't you think there would be a lot more demons? In fact, sometimes you look around and you say, man, is that person, is that person demon-possessed? I mean, you just the, the behavior, the actions, and everything else. And um, when it comes to tongues, there are some, you know, really good Bible teachers, but they say, well, no, 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 Uh, that gift and any speaking gift has ceased. And so now, they would say, now, though it was once a gift in the early church, uh, now, if anyone speaks in tongues, it's proof that they're demon-possessed and need to have demons cast out of them. Isn't that funny? It's interesting. And they say that when that which Paul wrote, when that which is perfect has come, you know, these things will cease. And tongues, of course, is one of those things. But also knowledge is one of those things. And surely knowledge hasn't ceased. Thank you, Lord. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I don't believe that everyone, every Christian will cast out demons, but I know that there are Christians that cast out demons. I don't believe from the scriptures, this is not just my opinion, that every Christian speaks in tongues. I don't believe as maybe some of the Pentecostal uh, believers might say that speaking in tongues is proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that. Paul asked the rhetorical question, do all speak in tongues? It's clear that it is a gift, a gift of many gifts. It's also clear that all of the gifts that every believer has received gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
So that makes you want to stop and say, boy, am I being cheated? I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. I have the Spirit of God. What are my spiritual gifts? If I've been given a gift or more, I'd like to know what that is. And I think too often we don't even pursue those things. We don't even ask the Lord about those things. We don't even ask specifically, Lord, would you give me this gift or that gift or whatever gift you have for me? Many times we don't see the gifts of the Spirit manifested in the right way. And so many want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, I don't like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. In fact, you'll hear professing Christians say things like, I don't really like dealing with the Holy Spirit because he does odd things. Isn't that funny? Like the Spirit of God is the mischievous, you know, person of the Trinity that, you know, I mean, it's just really, really bizarre. When you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us, he reminds us, he empowers us, he equips us. I mean, you think of all the different things that the Spirit of God does. He fills us. We have a supernatural love because of the Spirit of God, supernatural joy because of the Spirit of God, supernatural peace because of the Spirit of God. I mean, who doesn't want those things? How is that mischievous or dangerous? It's not at all. But many times because we see the misuse, and this is why pastors and churches need to do their due diligence. Rather than, you know, uh, letting the church service be a free-for-all, you know, well, we got this, we got that, and okay, we got 14 people speaking in tongues over here all at the same time, and oh, this one just interrupted the teaching of the word or the preaching of the word, and here we are, and here we are, and say, don't quench the spirit, man, you got it. But Paul says, no, 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 everything should be done in order. If things are done in order, then there's continuity to what's happening, and there's not the fear of something strange is happening here. And sadly, many pastors are afraid to reel it in. Okay, well, we just had someone speak in tongues, you know. Is there an interpretation? Is there an interpretation of that tongue so that we could all be edified? Because we don't understand what was spoken. Oh, there's no interpretation? All right, brother. All right, sister. We ask you not to use that gift here today because it's for the edification of the whole. When there's tongues without the interpretation, it edifies the speaker. It doesn't edify the whole. You see what I'm saying? It's very clear. It's just nothing to be afraid of. We just simply use the scriptures as our guide, as our parameter. Why don't we see more of the genuine? Well, he talks about taking up serpents and drinking anything deadly. What do you guys think of? I think of, now I'm not picking on anybody, but it seems to happen in certain parts of the United States. I think of down south. These good old boys with their rattlesnakes and their mason jars of poison in the services. That's not what Jesus was speaking of here. That's madness. That's tempting fate. That's 
stupid. That's embarrassing when you see these types of things, you know. I mean, every now and again we come across something, you know. Yes, in Louisiana, at a Pentecostal service, brother so-and-so was bit by a, and died. And you just kind of go, oh gosh, how horrible. You say, well, what does it mean then? Well, guys, remember when Paul, what is he doing? He's not, listen, he's not playing games. He's not saying, hey, guys, watch this. (laughs) I'm a Christian. I can handle deadly snakes. He doesn't even know he has a deadly snake. They just survive a horrible shipwreck. It's destroyed everything. No one's been lost. No lives have been lost. Just as the Lord spoke to him through the word of knowledge that no lives would be lost if they stuck together. He makes his way up on the beach. You picture everyone laying on the sand or whatever the beach was. Who knows what it was like? You know, I, we always think of tropical. I think of tropical. I like tropical. Um, but they're laying there on the beach, and Paul, the servant, you know, he goes and he picks up a bundle of sticks and he goes to throw them in the fire. And as he throws them in the fire, the viper, because of the flame, because of the heat of the fire, jumps out, latches onto his hand, and the the indigenous people say, he must be a murderer. I love the scripture because it's like we think. You know, everyone, we always make assumptions. He must be a murderer, and he got away with it. But God's not going to let him get away with it. He's going to swell up. He's going to die. But he doesn't. He just keeps talking. He's probably talking about Jesus, you know. You guys, you know, you really need to place your faith in Christ. And they're looking at him. He's not swelling up. In fact, he's looking better as he's warming up from the fire. And they say, he must be a god. He's got to be a god. Do you remember what else happened? That there was someone of importance there whose father, I believe it was, was sick. And Paul went and prayed for him and he was healed. Do you think that that would get the attention of the people? Yes. Yes. I was saying at the first service, you know, those of you that have gone on mission trips and, and you, you go to these foreign lands and these, these places where, you know, when you're back home, they say, uh, uh, don't drink the water there and don't eat the food there and don't do this and don't do that. And when you get out on the mission field, all of that goes away because all that matters is that you want to connect with these people. And so you drink things you shouldn't drink and you eat things you shouldn't eat. And I wonder if one day when we're standing before the Lord, the Lord will say to us, you know, when you're in such and such a place and you ate that food and you drank that, you know, that would have that killed you. But I protected you. What if? I don't know. Here's the problem. The modern church is no longer going out to preach. They're staying in to play. And so, if we're not going out to preach, should we expect the miraculous? Should we expect the signs to accompany us? 
Because look what it says. Look at verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. By the way, this did not happen on the day he was resurrected. You know this. It happened 40 days later after the resurrection. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, the ascension. But it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father, which, by the way, what is he doing there? Do you know, Christian? He, is, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's praying for us. Does that give you joy to know that he's praying for us? And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with, with, with them <laughs> and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So be it. I like that. Amen. If we're not going out, if we're not preaching, do we really need the signs and wonders? What we have today in modern Christianity is you have Christians and and we all have different groups and we all have different likes and we all, so we're going to go in and we huddle and we have our afterglows and we have our services and it's, there's not a non-believer among us. And if there was non-believers among us, they would go running out because we're doing precisely what Paul told us not to do. Everyone's speaking in tongue at the same time. There's no interpretation. Some, someone's talking about a message in tongues. Where do you get that? A message in tongues. There are no messages in tongues. Tongues, Paul makes it clear, is God word. It's not God speaking to us through an unknown tongue. How silly would that be? You guys are looking at me like you're puzzled. You need to go back and study 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Prophecy is God speaking to us. Tongues is man praising God. God, it's God word. There is no message in tongues. You say, well, wait a minute. That happened all the time in my church. And there lies the problem. <laughs> but I'm bum. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? When you have this type of thing and no one dares say, uh, 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 excuse me, I have a question. Paul wrote, da, 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 da. oh, killjoy. You quenched the spirit. There it goes. No. I want the real deal. I don't want to quench the spirit. I want the spirit to move mightily in our midst. I want to see him be glorified. You know, guys, if we're not going out, if we're not doing what he called us to do, do we need it? I, I think of some of the things, you know, I, you, you could read and we should read. Guys, if we're going to read extra biblical things, you know, things not in the Bible, we should read about some of the revivals, genuine revivals, genuine, genuine revivals. I'm not talking about uh, uh, the Brownsville. I'm not talking about um, the Toronto. I'm talking about genuine revivals. I'm talking about things like the Welch Revival. I'm talking about some of the revivals that took place throughout Europe, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about a genuine revival such as the Jesus movement. When you had young people who were being set free and you'd have these stories and you'd hear about people saying, you know, yeah, we were, we were down at Huntington Beach and we were sharing the gospel with people and, and there were three guys that came by and they were all tripping on acid. And as we began to talk to them about Jesus, they became completely sober. 
completely straight. It was a work of God. And they heard the gospel and they received Christ. And they're here with us now. Here they are. See, that type of thing, you go, wow. Wow, I want to see that. I want to see that type of stuff happening. But it wasn't happening in a building with closed doors, Christians playing with with spiritual gifts, not really even knowing the function and the purpose of, of spiritual gifts, that they're for the edification of the, of the whole rather than just going out. Have you experienced it? Have you seen it? I've seen it. I've experienced it myself. I love it when maybe there's a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom and someone is speaking and I've, I've shared this a number of times, but, you know, when we first started the church, we, we were meeting in our home uh, for our Wednesday night study, and there was one particular fellow, and he was just really a thorn in my side. He really was. He just questioned absolutely everything, and it wasn't biblically questioning. It was just, he was just kind of a nitpicker, you know. And uh, he showed up early to the Bible study and just kind of lit into me, you know, which is never good to do. If you want to really let the pastor or Bible teacher have it, wait till after Bible study. Then let him have it. But don't do it beforehand because it will probably taint the study. But he did that. He came in. And we had this uh, lady. She was a nurse. She was a, I think she was a surgical nurse or or she was an RN, or no, she was a PA. That's right, she was a PA, Terry. And her husband was a pilot. And so they were stationed here. And Terry, sweet gal, uh, you would never look at Terry and say she's um, um, flamboyant or you know, wants to be heard or wants to be seen. That was not her personality at all. She was very subdued, very mellow woman. And she came to study that night. And she walked in. And I thought it was so interesting. We're all sitting there. And she sat down on our coffee table. She sat down on our coffee table. So she's right in the middle of all of us. And she just began to talk. And as she began to talk, it was as if she had been standing next to this fellow talking to me and she was writing notes so that she could correct this guy for the things he was saying. I mean, the very words spoken. And she's just there. And then she gets up and she says, I don't know why I did that. And then takes a seat on the floor. And I'm going, wow. So after everyone left, Tracy and I said, Terry, stay, stay, stay. We got to talk. Why? Because, see, she, like so many Christians, had just recently been saying, I wish the Lord would use me. The Lord never uses me, you know. You talk about spiritual gifts. I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. We said, Terry, the Lord used you tonight. Do you know? And we just kind of went through it without revealing too much of this because, you know, there's some things there. But I said, you spoke literal sentences that were spoken either by me or to me, and you weren't even here yet. 
she was so excited. I mean, it was like she was just kind of floating out of the house when she left because she was being used by the Lord. I like to point it out when it's obvious that that's what's happening. We just had it recently. I, I think it was in our men's thing, and the same kind of thing. Someone just started sharing, and I go, oh, man, that's so good. Brother, brother, that's the Lord. And he's just kind of looking at me, you know, and I said, no, 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 that's the Lord. That is the word of knowledge. And it gives people hope, and you say, and I want to be used by the Lord. The Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to baptize you with his spirit. You say, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was baptized. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I believed. Well, good. Good. But what if you weren't? Well, I know I'm throwing a wrench in your works here. Jesus said, to his disciples on the night he was arrested before they left the upper room. He says, the spirit of God is with you. And not many days from now, he will be in you. Do you remember the sequence? Do you remember the chronological order? On the night that Jesus was resurrected according to now, he's resurrected in the morning, but on that evening, so Sunday evening, he comes in, according to John's gospel, and he, he's there with his disciples. I don't want to gross you guys out, because it's me, but, but he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think they received the Holy Spirit? I believe they received the Holy Spirit. What would keep them from receiving the Holy Spirit? You say, done deal. Good, good to go. But then he says, tarry in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes upon you. What's the promise of the Father? That you would be endued with power. The baptism. I baptize you. Remember John said, I baptize you with water. But he who comes after me will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of the Father. See, now maybe you're thinking, have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Guys, listen, this is where Christians can be greedy, where we can say, Lord, give it all to me. I don't want you to hold anything back. Whatever is mine in you, through faith in you, I want it, I want it, I want it. Lord, more importantly, I need it, I need it, I need it. And we're going to end with the worship song. And if it's the same worship song, is it the same? Okay, so I didn't know this at the, because this, again, this is the spirit moving because we don't ever talk about, now do this song because it will tie into my teaching because they don't know what I'm teaching and I don't know what I'm teaching until it's taught. <laughs> Usually I know the text, but I don't know what direction I'm going many times. But I want us to make this our prayer. Okay? Make this our prayer to the Lord as we sing this to the Holy Spirit. Don't you want all he has for you guys? The Lord will equip us with his spirit to go out and do the work he has for us. Don't put any limitations. Don't say I'm too old. <laughs>
Don't say I'm too young, young people. Don't say I'm too young. Man, if you hunger and thirst for Christ, I'm telling you, many of you need to be born again. And all of you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that. It's not a put down, but I'm just telling you. All those young kids that just went out. I was thinking last night, oh, Lord, if you were to pour out your spirit, truly, truly, truly pour out your spirit. Not some weird gimmick game thing, but truly, man. Next Sunday, we're going to start a study in the book of Habakkuk. So would you be reading Habakkuk? It's only three chapters. You could read it in a short period of time. We're going to do four Sundays leading up to Christmas. The Lord just gave me a burden for that book, and I believe that he has given me four very pointed messages from Habakkuk. But at one point, when Habakkuk hears what's coming, Babylonians are coming, it's going to be bad, what does he do? He prays for revival. Would you renew your work, Lord? The work that you did at one time, would you do it again, Lord, in our midst? And I'll tell you, that's what we need to pray today. We're the last generation, I think. And why not go out filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit, doing the things of the Lord, not try to draw attention to ourselves, not being weirdos in some church, doing weird stuff, but being on the street and being able to come back and say, you know what, let me tell you what Jesus did today. Let me tell you what the Lord did today. And I'll tell you, that will build our faith. So let's stand.